it's not like that Harrison Ford movie that did a full CGI dog as a main character for some reason. Like, we get a real, a real dog. dog. We get a real dog here. And it's a great dog. This is such a good, he's such a good boy. He's a very good boy. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, San Diego is your home. You are Cassidy Robinson, and you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Today we're going to be discussing, at length, the Predator franchise, as well as the latest in the Prediverse, Prey, on Hulu. And then we'll be doing the streaming homework that you uh, assigned us last week, and that is the uh, Miyazaki film Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which is currently streaming on HBO Max. Trying to milk HBO Max for a while until uh, there's nothing on it left, but um, uh, what was the Sword Wars? (laughs) I already (laughs) forgot our fake reality show. Sword swappers, sword, <laughs> sword flippers. I, you know what though? <laughs> the the funny thing is, sword swappers is infinitely more interesting than whatever they'll actually do, which will be like curb changers. Right. Yeah. What I wanted to bring up at the top of the show, you might be vaguely proud of me. I have watched the first three episodes. Of Sandman on Netflix. All right. We just finished uh, the first season last night. Um, Yeah. There were people who were already, I guess they probably binged it in 24 hours or less. um, Oh, yeah. Who watched it all in one sitting, who were already giving their two cents on it online when it barely dropped. I've been sort of taking it one episode at a time. Uh, then of Give course I had me to like the weekly release. Give me the weekly release because I I'm done with it now and it's over and now I have to wait and I don't just I'd rather just I want it once a week. You could pace yourself. No, you could exhibit some self control. No, and and do what you I know did. What? I actually or is it more about right. like avoiding spoilers online or whatever? It, it took us about a week to get through it, so I, I feel like that's we not did bad. Right. That's not bad yeah. for a show that's ten episodes long of you know episodes of varying length. So this is a show that a lot of people wanted to see for a long time, and you know i I had read the comic kind of. I don't think I got all the way through it. Tbh, um, but you know I've always kind of been excited about the idea of them doing a show. But I had no idea when or if it could be done. I mean, there's a lot of things that claim to be unfilmable, whether it's Dune or Watchmen or whatever. But in the case of Sandman, I thought it might actually be because uh, I cry bunkus on all that with with all the technology at our hands with for a movie. Yes, it would have been impossible to do it as a movie because there's just too much. There And I know they were pitching it as a movie for a long time. 
there's there's been uh, development uh, deals with it and different stars attached for years and years and years and years. Pretty oh, much forever. since the comic uh, ended in the mid nineties. Yeah, it's not so much the technology thing. Like obviously they can dream up anything and put it in a computer, but it was more to do with the fact that it's just such a strange title. It's extremely literary, tonally specific, and culturally mm-hmm. specific. I mean, there's something about it that is very British. Uh, it's sensibility. Although, uh, people are more into that in over in the States now than they would have been any other time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Now I that mean, we've we have- had all this crossover stuff from, from the BBC. Yeah, we've had like doc- – you know, I think <laughs> – I think a pre-Doctor Who audience for sure uh, might might have had a, a harder might have been a harder sell, but um, yeah. But now people like watch Downton Abbey for fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, and the fact that the, it's mixing mythologies, and you know, one episode could be high fantasy, the other episode could be urban horror, the other another episode is you know going into. He could be talking to Shakespeare or another issue. He could be talking to Batman. And I just, I just didn't know, like, are the norms going to be able to penetrate this? Like, obviously, the clove-smoking goth kids are already there. But, you know, is the average Doctor Who fan, the average Netflix curiosity kind of person going to get past three or four episodes before they're just – Utterly confused and, and bothered by the entire thing. And apparently, it's doing very well. Yeah, yeah. It's breaking all sorts of uh, streaming records and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, even though I have not read the entirety of the uh, the Sandman, of what I know of it, I think it's it's pulling it off pretty well. I was a little worried because of the David S. Goyer connections. And there's, you know, uh, stylistically or aesthetically, there's some things I probably would have approached a little different. But I think for the most part, it nails it. It, it does manage to thread that really yeah. fine line of all that genre stuff and all that literary stuff and that gaming world that uh, for sure. is difficult to uh, difficult to I'll, do. I'll, I'll give you my non-spoilery two cents. Yeah, I, I think it's a very faithful adaptation. Much more than um, I would have thought. I thought they were just going to kind of use the universe and then just tell their own stories because that would have been easier. But no, they're actually going basically issue per issue. Yeah, at least this this first season. Um, there are some things, obviously, that I think the book did better. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some things that I liked better in the show. There are some things that were clearer there there were you know because in a comic book uh especially one with artwork by like Sam Keith that is you know very black and inky and when the writing is very esoteric it it's easy to get lost sometimes so there are some things that you know I've read the book a couple times and there were even things that I like did not get or did not pick up on that the show was, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. So even even though there are some things that I wish had been maybe done a little differently, I, I think it's pretty much after the third or fourth episode, it's pretty 
It's pretty much... Yeah, well, even the first episode, it, it, there are some things that I I was like, oh, that's a very writing for TV thing. Sure. Um, but then after about the the second or third episode, I stopped noticing that it it feels very much like like they were easing you into this world just a little bit more than the comic book did. And at a certain point, they they just take the training wheels off, and it's it's almost you know, shot for shot, an adaptation of the book. So I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. Like you said, the only thing that I would have, I sort of envisioned certain things different in my head as far as more of the style of it. There's, mm-hmm. you know, I would have personally, just because I'm the kind of nerd that I am, I would have kept it set in the late eighties in early nineties yeah, and just own that. Um, and well, I think it would have been fun to, to have a period piece like that on television. And also, like, I I would have approached it visually kind of more like uh, Alex Proyas did with The Crow, with, with a lot more blacks and rain and inky kind of look to it, and, like, stark black sure. and whites. Um, and instead, it kind of has this more metallic blue sheen over everything. Which well, what makes it look a little slick for my taste, but I get it. It's it's I'm not you know, I I wasn't there yeah. to tell them what to do. And you know, again, they're they're it's trying an interpretation to get the the broadest audience possible. I I kind of agree with you. I my overall takeaway is I do think the show is much better at the fantasy aspects and not. As much with the horror, and that disappoints me a little bit. Um, there are certain things that I wish they'd gone a little harder on, but I get it. Mm-hmm. And again, there they do the fantasy stuff really well. So it, it's just a slightly different flavor than the books or the even the audiobook. Yeah. Which is also a great adaptation. It is a great time to be a Sandman fan. Definitely a bigger quality control there from, say, like Alan Moore, who has absolutely no interest in being a part of any of the productions. So they end up being whatever they end up being. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough comic talk. But I did want to bring that up because I, I hopefully by the end of the week, I'll have finished the first season as well. I had to take a break to do show watching. Let's move on and start talking about Predator movies, because I know this is going to take a chunk of time. Um, sure. We'll try and speed through these. Uh, you know, to some extent or another, I think we've talked about most of this when we did our Alien rundown. I know we talked about the AVP movies in, the, in that context, but we're just going to kind of go through here, give our two cents on the Predator films that come before Prey. And then we'll uh, do a full review of Prey when we get to it. But 1987, Predator, John McTiernan, classic Schwarzenegger vehicle. I mean, what do you say? I mean, this is, you know, this is the the one that started it all. It's such a cool concept. Uh, I think it's executed really well in that they... You know, they treat it like uh, just another action war movie um, and then subvert that pretty quickly. And uh, it's yeah, I think it's a really smart movie that 
that kind of makes fun of those other types of movies, you know, was just something very different and interesting, especially at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's one of my favorite performances from uh, Arnie. Yeah, actually, you know, a really good cast all around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Jesse Ventura, you have uh, Shane Black is a small part in that. Who played Carl Weathers? Carl Weathers, yes. Uh, and all of them, you know, have varying levels of screen time because it's kind of played, you know, the second half of the movie, especially. It's kind of played like a more like a horror film, more like a almost like a jungle slasher where yeah, they get totally. knocked off one by one. I do think the first one is. Even still, I would say, is probably the most horror. Um, it is is the most where, you know, and the, I think as a franchise, um, the Predator movies have always, you know, gone back and forth between horror or just action. Um, right. Because there's a solid mix of, of kind of both both worlds. Yeah. And sci-fi, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about 1987, and I would love to have been their opening night when that movie first came out. And I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what the TV spots were like. i never saw the, the original trailers. I guess I could go back and look at them. I wonder how much they gave away because it's certainly the movie is hi- hiding the ball. They want you to think you're watching commando or Rambo yeah. or whatever. And then, like you said, in the middle of the movie, it, totally turns everything upside down. And if you didn't know going in, you would think like, uh, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. I I think another thing that to this movie's credit is how they scrapped the original creature design because it it was just so generic and kind of hokey looking. And you know the the Stan Winston creature that we got is was instantly iconic. I, I think that helped a lot as well. And it it's a difficult creature design to to come to that conclusion because it's humanoid. You know, mm-hmm. it basically has the silhouette of a man, but it's almost over designed. But but it's like this close to be to having just. <laughs> To, to being a little nondescript because it has so many like body armor pieces and weapons and stuff. But yeah, but all of all of that to McTiernan's uh, I mean, credit, he knows exactly how to shoot the creature mm-hmm. uh, in a way that we understand all of its functionality by the end of the movie. Yeah, because so much of the design. I, I mean, and that's the interesting thing about the first movie. They don't explain the predator. At all, they, no, they and that's the whole movie is built on mystery. Yeah, and so all of the storytelling is for all of the explanation of what the predator is is in the creature's design. It's in that mm-hmm. armor. It's in its weapons. It's in its yeah. It I think it's so perfectly designed because it tells you what that character is and. Again, it just has a look that you'll never forget. It's it's instantly iconic. It has an incredible original silhouette, and each mm-hmm. aspect of it tells you exactly what this creature is without ever having to say the words out loud. Everything we learn about the alien, we learn with Arnold and the rest of the victims. 
Yeah. Um, great storytelling to, you know, show, don't tell. That's what we're talking about. Absolutely. Uh, Predator 2 came out in 1990. Um, you know, the, the conceit of this is Predator in the hood, basically. Uh, Predator in the middle of uh, uh, urban war between the LA. gangs. Yeah. I actually um, just watched this one today. Oh, really? Uh, to kind of, re- yeah. Yeah, yeah I haven't it, seen this one in a good while. And I think I've only seen it maybe two or three times. Um, it's it's a weird one. It ages uh, weird. It ages, I think, harder than, well, certainly harder than Predator 1. Yes, absolutely. It, I mean, the beginning of it, it almost feels like a Verhoeven film because it's yeah. like, L.A. in in like cartoonish gang violence, um, mm. like the opening shot is, you know, these gangs squaring off with the cops with these insane like rocket launchers and assault weapons and stuff. Uh, but yeah, the concept is, uh, you know, the predator moves out of the jungle and into the urban jungle. In the early '90s, there were a bunch of movies about that. To a certain extent, like being set in L.A. L.A. was like maybe this had you know, maybe there's kind of a post Die Hard quality to that, or a post Lethal Weapon or something. I don't know, but well, I mean, uh, it, definitely Lethal Weapon. Yeah, the Danny Glover connection. Yeah, uh, and and yeah, it's it, again kind of like the first one. It kind of sets itself up to be this other thing. They, I mean, they introduce the creature. A lot earlier, because you you know you're watching a Predator movie. But there is still this uh, mystery element to it. Uh, Danny Glover is hunting down, you know, they're they're not sure if it's like a vigilante serial killer. Mm-hmm. They don't know if the gangs are doing it to each other. So, I do appreciate that this movie takes some big swings. Oh, yeah. I mean, it. it I can't say that it pulls off everything. No, it, it there is some stuff that is very dated, um, but kind of dated in a fun way. Like, like you can totally watch this movie, and even the stuff that comes off as campy or ridiculous by today's standards still fits within the world that they've established. Yeah, it, I mean, for sure. And uh, shout out to Bill Paxton, the only actor to get killed by a predator, an alien, a xenomorph, and a Terminator. Oh wow. He's in the the first Terminator, he's in this and of course he's in Aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like an honorary Dark Horse Comics uh <laughs> celebrity. Um yeah. I would actually say this is probably the darkest Predator movie, at least yeah. an, an attempt at that. A lot of it and you know, both literally because a lot of it's shot at night. Um mm-hmm. and it kind of going for this neo-noir-ish feel in within the context of like a early 90s action movie. And it's also probably one of the most violent. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, you know, there's sections where there is a lot of skinned human bodies on screen. I don't know. It's, it is kind of similar to the first one, though, where a lot of the violence does take place sort of off screen and you just see yeah the but you know there's a lot of lot of gunplay there there's some uh 
There is some stuff with the the voodoo gang that um very silly is definitely drifting into high camp territory at this point. Yeah, there's almost um, like there's almost an like warriors element to this, like a Walter Hillish type of feel with the, with the way the gangs are portrayed, where they're yeah, like fantasy gangs. They're not like the Bloods and the Crips. They're kind of like fantasy movie gangs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I will also give this movie credit for also wanting to expand the lore of the Predator. Um, yeah, we, and this is also the, the ending uh, reveals in his, you know, skull trophy mm-hmm. room the Xenomorph skull, which led to the comic books, which led to the video games, which eventually led to the Alien vs. Predator movies. Which also is kind of silly because, yeah. uh, you know, and this is this is just me going down a, a, a nerd boy rabbit hole, but Xenomorphs have an exoskeleton. Yeah, I know. So they don't have like a, they wouldn't have a giant bleached skull. Not like that. I mean, but it's but it was just meant to be a fun Easter egg, right? Like they didn't. That's all it is. But also, this movie, uh, more than just that, it it shows us the trophies in his ship, and it shows us at the end there's a lot of predators. So it shows us that this is like it really cements that this is a, a society. This is this is what they do. This is this is who they are as a people. It wasn't just. A one-off thing. Yeah, they're a warrior species, and it's some sort of rite of passage. And yeah, again, yeah. It, it and it does all this without dialogue, which is great. Um, I know that uh, because of some of the things we've mentioned, that this movie is not looked upon as fondly anymore. A lot of people skip over this one, or they just kind of write it off entirely. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's that bad. I think no, if I you're don't, a fan of the first one, you definitely should see it. I will say with the caveat that it's certainly not as good. No, I mean this one this one plays into those action movie tropes that yeah. the the first one was trying to subvert. You know, it definitely plays into the the macho hero, you know, needing to outdo the creature versus you know, the first one, you know, he literally has to strip all of his macho-ness away and, and resort yeah. to this sort of primal fighting technique. I mean, in this one, you know, he just, like, shoots him a bunch. Um, right. But, I mean, on the other hand, it's 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 Danny Glover instead of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, it's, sure. he's not exactly a big 80s-style muscle guy. Yeah. there it, it has its pluses and minuses. But I still think it's worth a watch. Yeah, especially if you're a fan of movies of that time frame and, mm-hmm. and just the you know, 80s action movies in general. I think it's – I don't think it's it's bad. It's just – Kind of more of a B movie. Um yeah. Longest break between Predator movies, uh, Predator 2 and 2004's Alien vs. Predator, which uh, brings to fruition that Easter egg – that we talked about. Like I said, there was a comic book that Dark Horse put out. I don't re- remember which came first, the video game or the comic book. The, the I'm pretty sure the comic book. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there was like the initial run and it the comic book was really popular. So then 
there were all sorts of spin-offs and there were, you know, Predator comics and Alien comics and there were Alien versus Predator comics and it ended up, you know, there there's a bunch of stuff to find there uh that Dark Horse was publishing at that time and like right. the first run of it is really solid. It's a it's a cool story and this movie tries to take the bare bones of that but without really being true to the lore of the alien world. Uh, and it's a little more uh, forgiving as a Predator movie uh, because I think they just get the Predators a little more right. It's a terrible a- alien movie. It's not a great Predator movie. <laughs> no. And I, w- I would argue not a great movie all around. It- it's a Paul yeah. W.S. Anderson movie. It, it trades in anything of of kind of substance or subtlety for uh you know let's have the alien the predator smash an alien through the wall while let the bodies hit the floor plays right it's it's action shock yeah now there's been worse there's I mean, been there's both been worse alien versus predator movies and there's been worse Paul W Sanderson movies and there's been worse Alien and Predator movies individually, I think. Yeah, I think when it's all said and done, if you look back at the entire thing, it's certainly at the tipping point of when we're no longer in good good movie territory anymore. Barely enjoyable, unless purely on an ironic level. But uh, somewhere in the midway point of all of the above. Um, but yes, it, it's, um, poorly acted, a lot of throwaway red shirt characters who are, you forget who's in the movie by the end of the movie. It has kind of a cool premise, the idea that they, you know, they, they find this alien, uh, ziggurat in, you know, it's kind of an in the mouth of madness, basically. Uh, well, See that's that's one of the things that bothers me the most about this movie though is it's it's just sort of they find this fucking alien temple on earth in present times and it's it's not really Oh yeah the timeline is you just have to throw that away you just you yeah, cannot it's just so think full about of that plot holes and Yeah if you try and like find where this fits in the overall timeline of both franchises you're just going to tie your brain in the knots um, so well, I, I believe they have officially removed these from uh, from, from canon. canon. Yeah, so I, which, I don't think these li- literally count in the at least in the Alien story arc. Yeah, this has as much to do with Alien and Predator as the Resident Evil movies have to do with Resident Evil video games. Or Mortal Kombat has to do with Mortal Kombat or, or any of that Paul W. I, I actually feel like crap. even like I think this has as much to do with Alien or Predator movies as Van Helsing has to do with Dracula movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not good. But, you know, it's uh, some people sort of like it in spite of that. Like it has sort of a cult following. Um, yeah, I, I can see uh, it kind of it's so bad. It's good. You can have you can at least have some fun with this, um, even though it's it's not a good movie, right? And I I think probably the dial that's turned down the most is the horror. It is the opposite of scary. 
Yeah. In fact, it feels Although, like it, it's going out of its way to make both the alien and predator seem less intimidating. Yeah. Well, it makes it makes you want to think that they're video game characters that you can choose to be sort of like they're the ciphers of the movie, which makes them a lot less scary. Right. Um, it, it, it's also it just, alien predator just, kabuki wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, um uh luchador. Uh totally. <laughs> okay. Uh 2007's Alien versus Predator Requiem. Um this is cuz I think we talked about it when we did our Alien rundown. This is the one takes place the, like, in the takes suburbs. Place in the suburbs, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah this one's dog shit. <laughs> yeah, and there's actually this and the Predator are remarkably similar. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they both kind of try this idea of like alien in the suburb or predator in the suburbs. Uh this is probably one of the worst shot movies I've ever seen. Oh, um, I think this is just one of the worst movies I've ever seen in general. This one's I, I it's in my, I it would probably be in my bottom fifty. I would have to, you know, that's uh I've seen a lot of garbage, but it's definitely on there. Yeah. I think um I mean, whatever I kind I, of ironic fun you can have with with the original AVP, you can't have here. It's we're well beyond just like B movie schlock, but you know, in done in that kind of slick, overproduced Hollywood way, and now it's under budgeted, cheap looking, Uwe Boll kind of territory. Yeah, yeah. There's it's just nothing. I, I don't know. I don't have much to say about this one. It's just really bad. It's it's just dumb. You can't it's see anything because the uh, it's so poorly lit. Um, it's yeah, it's edited like garbage. A lot of the effects are under budgeted and look cheap, and yeah, it, all the characters are bad, and yeah, it's 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 just bad. It's not even fun. Bad. It's just bad. Bad. Yeah. Um, completely throwaway and so bad that they've written these movies out of canon. And we come back to the franchise in 2010 with Predators. This was produced by uh, Robert Rodriguez. Uh, it was originally supposed to kick off a trilogy that did not happen. I think it underperformed. But it's uh, directed by Nimrod Antal, who did uh, the movie Vacancy, I want to say. Um uh, before this, and has a huge uh, character actor cast: Adrian Brody, Lawrence Fishburne, Topher Grace, uh, Walter Goggins, Danny Trejo. Um, the conceit here being that they have been abducted by the predators, and like all of these prisoners, and they have all these like various backstories of crimes they've committed, and and why they're threatening or dangerous people. Some are in military, whatever. And then they get dropped off on the Predator planet, which is a lot like our planet, except for there's some more moons and stuff. Um, and there's some other creatures that we're introduced to here. Uh, yeah. So but basically, it's it's the most dangerous game set on the Predator planet, which for a Predator plot, is not a terrible way to go. Yeah, I... 
I think the problem with this movie, I also just recently rewatched uh, this one as well, um, because I actually rewatched this before uh, you mentioned we were doing this because it's just it had been a while since I'd seen it. And I remember liking it. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of still how I feel about it. It's I think its biggest problem is it's too beholden to the original. Um, it, it, it You can feel very much that it's like, uh, all right, we're going back to what made the first one work. Sweaty dudes in a jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of almost beat for beat the same as the first one. It's just uh, it just sort of the window dressing is different and it, it's kind of an update on on everything. Um, I think the premise is. I, I think they could have done more with the premise is my big problem with this movie is it could, you know, it could have been so much more than them just sort of running around a jungle again that I, I think, you know, if you want to start in the jungle, that's fine, but we should get to some other places. And I think that could have been, I just made it pay off a little bit more. Um, but as it is, it's, I think it's a decent action flick. It's got some, some good sequences and, you know they they expand the lore uh, in maybe a little more clunky ways, but um, you know they're they're still trying to build on top of it. And we learn there's like different types of predators, and there's sort of a caste system and stuff like that. I think is is interesting. Yeah it it's not bad. Probably this and Predator Two are like neck and neck as far as quality goes. I think they're very different movies, and I would actually say in some ways Predator Two takes bigger risks stylistically. Um, and that's, again, that's that's sort of my problem with this one is I, I think the premise is really good, but they play it a little too safe. They Again, it just feels like we're going to do what made the first one work. I think my issue with it mostly is you have this great cast and they don't have anything to do. Um, um, the, I- the movie's not very well written. Particularly the dialogue, I think, is bad most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's definitely some cringy stuff that, even from 2010, has not aged well. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of edgelordy, and it feels like it's sort of written by a 14-year-old. Uh, but, I, I mean, it has a cool premise, and I like the premise, and, I, and there's some cool action scenes along the way. But, um, I don't know. You have all of these great actors – you could have them cooperating. You could have them turn on each other. It could be more of a Lord of the Flies meets Predator. They kind of try that a little bit, but not really. Yeah, I just it feels like a lot of wasted potential, and I think that's why this didn't end up performing better. Also, I think we were just not far enough removed from the bad tastes of the AVP movies. Um, yeah. I think that more than anything. I think uh, if they waited come, like two or three more years, it would have been a different story. Yeah, yeah. And if um, I you know if AVP had if those movies hadn't come out and this came out when it did, I think it would have done a lot better. It would have been like, oh, it's been twenty years since there's been a Predator movie. Mm-hmm. But it, it, as it was, you know, we just went through kind of a, a gauntlet of not great ones, and then this comes along and it's not. It's not good enough to reignite the franchise by any means. It's yeah. it's just fine. It's a it's a middling action flick. A lot that of delivers fanfare. better action than than anything else. A lot of fanfare, a lot of winking and nodding at the camera. 
Um, yeah. A lot of that stuff I could do without as well. I, mean, I the, will say. The whole thing kind of feels like a, like it was produced for a Comic-Con audience and almost nobody else. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think there are some good moments. Uh, I do think, in particular, the stuff with Lawrence Fishburne is the most interesting. And I think he turns out a solid performance for... Like you said, not a lot on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of that is sort of the most interesting chunk of the movie. And there is a very cool sequence uh, between a Yakuza, a, a Yakuza sword fight with a predator that uh, I forgot how badass it was. Um, so yeah, I, I'll I give remember it prop- that standing out. Yeah, for for just that moment alone. Um, but like, yeah, Adrian Brody's kind of, I actually kind of actively don't like him in this movie. Um, I don't think he's very good in it. And, and I actually think so much so that you sort of miss some of the fun stuff that Walton Goggins and Topher Grace are giving us. I, I feel like the movie in general would have been a lot better had we not had the sort of Arnold substitute. Mm hmm. Yeah, you're probably But it's right. fine. It's it's just it's whatever. It's an okay action movie. I don't think it's like a waste of time, but again, it's not good enough to like to spark anybody into liking Predator. Right. I I think it's more of a worthy successor than the AVP movies. Like it feels like a true part 3. Yeah. Uh whereas the other two do not. Um, well, uh, specifically AVP and AVP, uh, Requiem, which feel more like, like, asides. This feels more in canon, but yeah, I, I don't, it's, it's also not necessary viewing. Yeah. Next is The Predator. The Predator, which we actually reviewed on this very podcast not very long ago. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it made both of our worst movies of 2018. It did. This movie is total dog shit. I I would rather watch Alien vs. Predator than watch this again. <laughs> I hated this movie. It's it's not fun. It overcomplicates the lore, and the plot is the Predator hunting a boy to evolve with his autistic brain juices. It is garbage. <laughs> um, have you ever watched the Screen Rant uh, pitch meeting guy? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you watch the one for this? <laughs> no. Um, but I can already hear it in my head. Right. I mean, it, it sells itself, right? So he's obviously he's, he's explaining the plot, uh, and he gets to the part where autism is the next step of human evolution, and all of a sudden everything starts shaking, and the, uh, the executive is like, oh, what was this? Or the writer's like, what was that? And the executive says, oh, that's just what happens every every once in a while when all of the elders of Hollywood turn in their graves simultaneously. That one was a big one. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's just, it's wild to me that someone wrote that down in yeah. a script and someone else with money said, yeah, this is the take. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just someone, it's Shane Black. So yeah, so Shane Black, you know, he has he has ties to the franchise. It, it's sort of yeah. The he first was one he was an of- actor in the first film. He is a successful screenwriter on his own. Um, you know, we He's talked about Lethal Weapon, good scripts. Yeah, uh, 
He's done good scripts recently, Iron Man 3. Uh, some people don't love that, but I think it's okay. And he, uh, The Nice Guys, which was fun. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Kiss, yeah. kiss, bang, bang. I, yeah. Like, I mean, he's very good at sort of, you know, quippy, noir, uh, uh, sort of buddy action movies. That's, that's what he's good at. And I don't know. They, there was just so much wrong with this one. They were trying to, again, reignite a whole new franchise series of films because it ends on a fucking cliffhanger but they just complicate the mythology so much they it is the exact opposite of the first one where everybody their only dialogue is to explain what's going on right and you know it's ableist as fuck like their the portrayal of the autistic boy is so offensive they do not handle it with any grace or tact it is it is literally just like oh this this boy this boy has magical powers because he's autistic and the predator needs to hunt him and it is the tone is all over the place because there's a lot of like comedian like every character is comedic relief yeah, um it's just to the point where it gets clanging uh it, this movie's just exhausting. It doesn't look great. There was a bunch of like reshoots and stuff as well. So I mean the movie it's like certainly feels like it's built by committee. I, there's not much to say about The Predator. It's it's so bad. Yeah. I I absolutely think this is the worst of the franchise. Even Again, I would rather watch Alien versus Predator Requiem. It's it's bad and dumb. Those, and ugly, those two are definitely the worst. They're contenders. Yeah, um, but I they're kind of bad I, for I, different reasons. But also, mm-hmm. they are they are both the Predator and the in the suburbs movies. Um, yeah, just stop doing that, guys. That not a good idea. Work. Nobody likes it. Just stop it. No yeah. more Predator in the suburbs. But one is probably several millions of dollars more expensive. Uh, yeah. And uh, has absolutely no idea what to do with that money on screen. <laughs> For sure. So, with all of that said, let's go ahead and start talking about Prey, which is the new film. By the way, don't love the title. Oh, I've learned I... to love it, but was initially not a fan. I also, I, for some reason, thought this was going to be a TV show. I don't know why I thought that, but I was mistaken. It's probably because they, I think they leaned so hard into the marketing that it was a Hulu original. Like, yeah. I, I, I think everything, every poster, every commercial, all leans so hard into Hulu. Watch this on Hulu that I can see why you thought it was a TV show. But I think the name is brilliant. I absolutely love it. It makes sense now. It's better than just calling it Predator again or something. Yeah. This is directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who also made the film 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is like the semi-sequel or spiritual sequel to the original Cloverfield. Um, yeah, it's like a spinoff in the cloverfield verse, Right, which is something that's never really quite taken off. As a concept, but it's interesting. I actually think people who didn't catch 10 Cloverfield Lane should go back and watch it because it's, it's a, there's a lot of fun concepts in it that work and it's really well cast. 
Um, there's a moment where the movie kind of falls apart, but before that, it's it's actually pretty engaging uh, and made on a very low budget. Prey, the origin story, not exactly. It Prey takes place in 1719, and it follows a tribe of the Comanche natives in the Great Plains of the pre-colonized United States. Our main character is Naru, played by Amber Midthunder. She has a brother in the tribe named Tayabe, played by Dakota Beavers. They specifically say he's the the war chief of the tribe. Right. But she is, uh, our main character, Naru, is more of a hunter-gatherer, and she's learning how to, you know, find, like, small woodland creatures and things like that. She can use a bow and arrow. She, she can... Uh, use a hatchet, and she's really good at sort of quickly coming up with solutions for, you know, finding things in the woods. And there's sort of a rite of passage in in this community where at a certain age, they have to, you know, the, the specifically the men, go and take on this very dangerous hunt where they have to hunt something that's hunting them. Um, in this case, it is a mountain lion. She wants to take part in this, even though it's not usually in their cultural norms for the women of their tribe to do this. But this is something that she wants to do. And she's kind of getting some encouragement to do that from from her brother, even though she's mostly kind of learning how to use like medicines and herbology and things like that. Um, she's sort of inching her way towards that. Upon one of these hunts, there is an attack. And as we've seen in these Predator films before, what looks to be attacking them is more dangerous than a mountain lion and stronger than a bear. But it seems to be able to move on its hind legs. And quickly, things start to escalate as this hunt takes more and more of their people out. And she has to go sort of on a rescue mission, which then leads her into a one-on-one game of survival with the Predator. And the way they're billing this movie is this is Earth's, why I said sort of sort of a origin, but not really. This is the first visit to Earth by the Predator that we know of. We also, uh, at some point, we run into a, a group of French colonialists who are killing the buffalo and skinning them, not unlike the way the predator skins his prey. I didn't know anything about this movie going in. I was not particularly excited about it because of what we've talked about, of the sort of downward trajectory of this franchise. And it seemed like one of these long-dead properties, like Alien, like Predator, that they just keep churning out sequel after sequel after sequel and keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again and not learning from them. And I'm happy to say that finally, one of these franchises, they figured out what they've been doing wrong. They figured out how to get their mojo back. They figured out how to tell a story that incorporates all the things that we like about the franchise in the first place, but also tell it in a way that's new and original and exciting. And changes the setting just enough to 
make it more singular and unique within the franchise. Yeah, this movie rocks socks. Like, it's really, really good. It is, without a doubt, the best of them since the first one. I might even make the argument that it is just as good, if not better, than the first one. It is... I freaking loved this movie. It is so well shot. The action is so good. Uh, it, it does all the Predator stuff right. It's just a Predator. And they don't over-explain it. They don't... Again, it's all... All of the storytelling is done through the character design. It is the coolest the Predator has looked, I think, since the original. It's such a cool movie. I am super bummed I did not get to watch this in theaters. Right. So there's a little bit of a discourse online about this because the movie was released directly to Hulu without a theatrical run of any kind that I know of. I don't even think there there was like a no. press run, was there? Fuck. I there was a like a secret screening at Comic-Con and I wish I could have gone to that now. For um, sure. I I had no idea it was happening until it had already happened anyway. And there was like a prey party. And I, you know, I kind of knew the basic idea. But like you, I, you know, I feel like I've been burned by this franchise enough that I was like, okay, it's another Predator movie. This time it's, you know, it's attacking uh, in the past. It's a Predator prequel. Great. (laughs) But it's, it's not that. It's just a cool ass Predator story. In a unique scenario. You don't have to watch any of the other Predator movies to appreciate this. It doesn't wholly rely on fan service. There's a couple fan service moments, but they're not done in a distracting or dumb way. Yeah, there's, and a, there's a couple links to, to, uh, to the original, but I think they're thankfully done very sparingly. Yeah, and I, and again, like if you haven't seen the original film, it's not going to be a problem. Yeah, and also this movie is just so interesting to look at. Like there's there's actual set pieces. It's not just muscle men wandering through a jungle again. You know, it, it's set in a North American forest. So it yes, we're still in that you know rural environment but it's it's different than a jungle and and it's shot different than a jungle we get these amazing western shots of these wide sweeping plains and these wheat filled valleys and there's a particularly cool set piece with these french trappers where they've like uh uh like clear burned an area out to mm-hmm. set up a trap and it creates this like ghostly ashen look but it's it's shot so well yeah that's i think that's Uh, why it's such a bummer that this didn't end up on a big screen somewhere because um of you know i've seen movies that were made for theaters recently that did not look as intentionally made for theaters as this film (laughs) like this this movie is very cinematic and very concerned with the photography and the lighting and the mood and the atmosphere. And there's kind of a quietude to the movie. I mean, it is still very much like a a predator horror film, but there's a lot of scenes without dialogue, particularly when, when our main character is by herself and she's trying to figure things out and no voiceover or anything like that. And there's not, there's so many of these types of films like, 
big franchise blockbusters that feel like, eh, we can't let people get bored. So we got to have something every five minutes, every, you know, every four minutes, we got to hit them with something new, or we got to fill the frame with something, or we have to, you know, just blast up the sound design so much that nobody can ever have a moment of reflection. Um, and that's not what this movie's like at all. It's very interior for a Predator film. Um, yeah, more so than yeah. more so than any of them. And maybe it has to do with the fact that this character that we're following is... I mean, she is a warrior. She becomes a warrior. That is her character arc. But there's no macho bravado to her as a character. Yeah. Again, it's just such a refreshing take on on the mythology in, in a way that that doesn't rely on all these years of continuity or whatever it's just yeah. it's just good storytelling it's it's a character you know meeting a situation that challenges her as a character like it's it's just a good story <laughs> yeah which is something that people forget to do in movies these days is well, especially when it's these bigger budget sci-fi it's easy to it's easy to just treat it as schlock to just be like oh it's another fucking predator movie it's like that's all we have to do you know no it's thought out it's intentional I, like there's a, a cut of it you can watch it in uh comanche language uh, you can watch a comanche dub uh the the thought behind the french uh the way the french are speaking is like original quebec quebecese french uh so like native french speakers don't understand everything they're saying there's there's no subtitles i i just it's such a cool there's so much attention to detail yeah i will say that the choice i watched it in the english dub the choice to have I would imagine this was like a baby they had to kill early on in getting the development deal through. But the choice to have them all sort of speaking in English is a little distracting. I respect the fact that they allow for the the Comanche dub, but even then mm. you're watching a dub and obviously the mouths aren't going to be matching and all of that. Um, I would have liked them to just, you know, fully go for it. And I, I understand that that would well, a I, alienate a no, certain I, I audience, they, but... Didn't they, like, reshoot scenes so that they could... I don't know. I don't know. No, I think the, the dub show. is just a just a dub. Uh, it's just a dub. Oh, okay. I, I, as uh, far as I know. Yeah. I don't know. The, the English speaking didn't bother me. I know, know some people have uh, kind of mentioned the same thing as well. I mean, there's plenty, I, I of, there's plenty of movies that have been made, you know, both present and in the past where we make that choice all the time. Like how many movies that take place in like classic Greece or Rome are just people in British accents. Yeah. 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 Sure. You know, I, it's a thing that we do. I just think for the verisimilitude, which the movie to a certain extent seems to be interested in, mm -hmm. um, I would have went the direction of just going for it fully. But yes, I understand like, I, that probably would have hindered the production even getting off the ground. Also, you know, a lot of the animals are done in CGI, um, specifically the larger animals, like the more dangerous things, like there's you know bear at one point, the mountain lion, etc. <clears throat> it's not like the greatest CGI, 
Yeah, it's I not, mean, you're, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's good it, enough. I don't think it's bad. It's it's not. I mean, you can tell they're CGI, but it's not like yeah. It's not like that Harrison Ford movie that did a full CGI dog as a main character for some reason. Like we get a real, a real dog. dog. We get a real dog here, and it's a great dog. This is such a good. He's such a good boy. He's a very good boy. Um, I heard he was a little troublesome on set because he was a non-actor dog. They found him oh, on casting call, I guess. But uh, they got a great performance out of him. Yeah. They had to kind of work around his quirks, but they were able to get what they needed out of him. Um, but he's a good boy. We yeah. like the dog. This is Editing Cassidy here. I just wanted to make a correction. Uh, the dog is played by a civilian dog named Coco, who we misgendered. This dog is a girl and was described by the cast as being a little bit of a hot mess, but in a sweet way. As far as the animal thing goes, again, it's just a verisimilitude thing. It's like so much of the movie feels earthy and natural that when you see these things that are clearly made in a computer... It's just like, oh, we are, okay, yeah, this is a Well, movie. And, and especially where the Predator itself is mostly practical, you know, it's it's another guy in a suit, but it, it right. has a tactile quality to it. They, they use CGI as sparingly as possible with him, and it's usually just for kind of the cloaking technology and stuff. Right, um, and, I, and I think man. there might have been a way with the animals to incorporate practical with cgi like you know change the angle here or there or use a close-up here or there just to just to blend a little bit more but uh those are my only complaints because otherwise i think this movie is honestly one of my favorite movies of the year i agree i think that is you know these are little nitpicks at this point of, of what i think is a really cool action movie and and the scariest the Predator has been probably since the original. Can we take a moment to talk about the design of the, the this new Predator design? That it's a little more primal. The fucking skull head is so cool. His weapons are a little. Again, it's great storytelling. It, it, we never feel like. I didn't feel like this is a, a technologically inferior Predator. I felt like he's bringing the tools for the type of prey he's going to be hunting. They don't have guns, so he's not going to bring lasers. He's going to bring arrows. Like, right. I just thought it was so well done. Yeah, I mean, it could be interpreted a number of ways. They leave enough in mystery that you can kind of fill in the headcanon as you like. It's, is it that because it's 300 years ago, the the Predator technology is not as advanced as it would be in 87? Or is it just what you said that he that they sort of a, approach each a trophy at their level? Yeah, that, I mean, that's Which how I interpret seems to make it sense like, for what we know about the honor system of the creature and all that. Yeah, yeah, um, but um, yeah, he's a great. But, but again, he's a great predator. They never they never explain it. They never, you know what I mean? There's not twenty minutes of exposition. Where they're sitting around a campfire saying, well, clearly this is blah, 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 blah. Like, no, it's just this is a scary ass monster we have to kill. Yeah, I love the fact that they don't, you know, they don't have any context for even how to describe this thing. Right. 
Like, they didn't yeah. really in any of the movies. Um, but uh, until maybe you get to The Predator, that's the only time when they know what a predator is. But especially then, and this is one of the coolest things about the script, is this thematic gesturing towards colonialization and westward expansion and sort of this invasion by another group of yeah. You know, uh, murderous people. Yeah. Yeah. Who have no respect for their land and for their people and their culture and their, the animal world or any of it. You know, it makes that parallel without spelling it out. Oh, absolutely. Like when, when they did the thing with the buffalo, I, I was, you know, I was like, okay, that's kind of curious when they, when they realized Oh, this is the French trappers. I was like, that's so f- smart. Yeah. I, j- I yeah, this movie this has movie. no business being as good as it is. Oh, absolutely. Dan Trachtenberg and Patrick Azon, who wrote it, they sh- they were like, this is our fucking shot. We have a Predator movie. Let's make it the coolest fucking Predator movie. Yeah. And I, re- and I, I really, I really like. Um, I really like Amber Mid Thunder in the lead. She's great. She's a great hero. Uh, one of my favorites of the Predator franchise of the Predator universe. Um, Absolutely. I love. Yeah, I love the uh, predicaments that they they keep putting her in, and the the peril and mm-hmm. how they ratchet up the tension. I think this movie this has more tension. I even think than the original. Like there are the way that the scenes build. Again, just so well done. And and the action is better. Like, there's these incredibly choreographed fight sequences mm-hmm. uh, that you actually get to see what's happening. Where, you know, even, even the first one sort of relies a little more on hiding stuff in the jungle than this one. I think if you're a fan of the franchise, there's no reason you should have a problem with this movie at all. And I think even if you're not, even if you're new to the Predator universe, have never seen a Predator film, you know, only have like a a passing kind of knowledge of it, you could start this one and get everything you're supposed to get out of it. Not just because it's a prequel, but also because it is really, really concerned with being a solid film on its own. Yeah. The only one I think you can really compare it to is the original. And... I think this, like you said, takes what worked from the first one, but with modern film techniques, just to really expand on what is a cool concept for a horror action movie. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason why you can't, especially if you're considering the Terminator films, the Alien films, RoboCop to a certain degree, any of these kind of like classic 80s sci-fi franchises. This is the one that should be the easiest to sequelize because the concept is so simple. It's a hunt. That's all yeah. it needs to be. You don't have exactly. to You don't have to staple a bunch of junk to to this premise. It's already working on its own. You just have to, you know, be a halfway decent visual storyteller. Exactly. And and they are more than halfway decent. They are very good. Yeah, uh, I, I give this an A plus because it's a rad ass movie that totally got me back interested into a franchise that I considered long dead. 
Yeah, on that aspect alone, it is, you know, one of the biggest surprises that I've had in a long time. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm giving it an A minus only just for those few nitpicks that I had. But um, yeah, this has been easily one of the more enjoyable movies I've seen. And I want them to release it in theater. So if you do end up seeing this and you like it, you know, bug them, uh, 20th Century Fox uh, or Hulu or whoever you have to on I, I social think, media. Yeah. Uh, let's try there, and get this. A- if Morbius can get shown in theaters twice, just yeah, on the strength of a the half-baked meme, this deserves to at least have a couple weeks in theaters so people can see it the way it was shot. Yeah, totally. And I hope it gets a, a physical release because I don't. Yeah. I, it also just goes to show like how little faith they have in this franchise anymore. Like mm. you know, since AVP, it is just you know we, we just went through it. It, it has just taken a beating right uh, to the point where it, it can't get in theaters. What was used to be a bankable property, you know, is is now like well we can release it on streaming. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think hopefully there's enough momentum that this can, the word of mouth is really good. I think it's, it's, it's doing very, very well on streaming right now. Uh, However, they tabulate that, but it's, it's, you know, getting the clicks, it's getting very like rapturous reviews. So yeah, there's no reason what's, I, I can't see why it can at least have a limited theatrical run or something. Yeah. And a Blu-ray, damn it. I want a Blu-ray by the end of the year. <laughs> yes, that'd be that'd be ideal. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the streaming homework that you assigned Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, and I will let you tell us what that movie's about. So this is an anime, technically not from Studio Gib- Ghibli. Is it Ghibli? Ghibli. I've heard it both ways. Uh, directed by Miyazaki, which I guess it's also based off of a manga hero, um, which is interesting. So it, it had an existence before the movie. I didn't know Miyazaki did uh, manga, so th- I thought that was interesting. Anyway, it is about this princess, Nausicaa, who, of the Valley of the Wind. Uh, she lives in, in kind of this quiet part on this planet it starts out with her scavenging these husks of these giant insect creatures known as the ohm um she seems to be a lot more in touch with nature in general this valley uh lives a peaceful existence even though they're right next to a forest that is poisonous um but they this village has learned to adapt and live next to the poisonous village and respect and to be able to get what they need out of it without disturbing these ohm, these giant insects too much. However, all of that changes when uh, another kingdom's ship crash lands in their valley and it is carrying the husk of this long dead race of giant mech creature things which another kingdom gets word of uh so uh this war breaks out between these two larger kingdoms 
and the Valley of the Wind seems to be caught in the middle. So I haven't seen like every Miyazaki film. I was kind of late to the Miyazaki thing. I've always known that he's like very well respected and super influential and Studio Ghibli in general is has a certain air of austerity to it that not even all anime gets. Well, it's it's some of the few anime uh, that actually gets released in theaters here for an American audience goes. Well, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I would say, you know, Pokemon and Dragon Ball are big, but the, well, but those are like largely not, seen for children and, you know. I think, and they are, they are sort of these, you know, uh, franchise TV shows and, and things that, you know, building off of the legacy of this show and this game and, and all this other stuff that created a fan base here. Whereas, you know, Studio Ghibli, Ghibli, uh, are just making anime features. So I, I think it is a bit of a difference there. It's it's not these franchises that have had the opportunity to build a fan base. Um, right. It, uh, other than it has a brand uh, unto itself. Um, yes, for sure. Not unlike Pixar does in America, which mm -hmm. if you talk to John Lasseter and the early, you know, people who started Pixar, they were very influenced by Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli, uh, particularly their storytelling. But yeah, I think, you know, I think there's some people who would, who would probably argue that the Ghibli films are like anime for people who don't like anime because they're yeah. sort of well, I adult oriented stories are a little, they're like kind of quiet and, and wispy and strictly genre oriented is a lot of them. They're even not though marketed they might. as anime. They're marketed as animation features. Right. And they, you know, they usually are up for like best picture in the animated category and things like that. Like there's just like, that's what I meant by an air of austerity to it. They're, they're kind of a little artsy. Yeah. Um, some more than others. This one of the ones I've seen actually reminded me a whole lot of one of the other ones I've seen, which is Princess Mononoke. Um, yeah. Both movies, even though Mononoke kind of takes place in more of a like fictionalized Edo period uh, fantasy world, this, yeah. this takes place more in sort of a pulp sci-fi kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, you got a little bit of Star Wars, a little bit of Dune. Yeah. I'd say a lot of bit of Dune. Actually, but they both have a similar theme, you know, this idea of like man's destruction of nature and not respecting nature and these sort of warring factions, you know, this, uh, that take place within within this greater concern. Um, actually, both movies, but even Nasca, maybe even more uh, potently, feels very prescient of, you know, the current climate crisis that we're in uh, make, making allusions to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where I think a lot of it comes from um, on both accounts, but especially this film, especially when you're talking about, you know, these giant mutated creatures and, and the, the poison water and the, you know, the acid water and these, and this uh, race of people that destroyed the earth, the earth. Right. And people who can't, um, you can't breathe. You have to wear you have to wear equipment to be able to walk around in certain places. I think a lot of this comes from where a lot of uh, anime 
particularly at this time, was coming from in this post-nuclear, post-Hiroshima-Nagasaki devastation Mm -hmm. that Japan was left in, which informed all of their fiction, whether you're talking about um, Akira or you're talking about uh, Godzilla or whatever, you know, even at one point we see a mushroom cloud in this film and uh, what looks a whole lot like a nuclear explosion. Um, and I think that that, you know, we we kind of take for granted that uh, we've never really seen that level of destruction uh, in the West. And that devastation psychically damaged generations of yeah and traumatized generations of Japanese culture so much so that it became this touchstone of all of their fiction over and over and over and over again um and that always kind of comes up in in a lot of stuff well from the 50s to about maybe early 2000s um that's why so much of their stuff is post-apocalyptic. It's because they lived through the actual apocalypse. Um, so, yeah, I, I think all of that stuff is really interesting. Um, this movie's a little slow. <laughs> and it doesn't always hold my attention. Um, it doesn't have my favorite characters uh, that I've seen in other Miyazaki films. Um I, I think also this uh, – I, I agree with every single thing you've said. Uh, um, also, I I don't know. I feel like this, compared to other Miyazaki stuff, and I don't know, maybe this is because it's based off a manga series, it sort of seems a little – there are times when it feels like nothing's happening, and then it also feels kind of story-wise bloated at the same time. Because uh, it's like there's, you know, we're introduced to another kingdom and then another kingdom and then there's sort of this other threat and then, then there's sort of another uh, problem put on top of that that I think in a manga can probably read a little bit better um, and be paced a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Whereas this movie kind of is in fits and starts. Yeah, it sort um, of drops you know? a lot on you, like in these big info dumps. Mm-hmm. Um, every, I don't know, 30 pages or so, uh, they introduce this character who's, um, in the American dub is voiced by, uh, Shia LaBeouf, um, who ends up becoming kind of a, what seems like it's a big character, but ultimately isn't, but he, he sort of like dominates one part of the film. <laughs> um, yeah. there's like a journey aspect to it, but the movie doesn't fully commit to that because it goes from, you know, her just kind of living her life as a curious princess to going on this, on this journey to sort of warn people about this impending issue to then this war breaking out. And each Mm -hmm. act is almost enough for a movie in itself, but they kind of just jam them together. I don't know how long the manga ran for, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much source material is there, but it, it feels like there was certainly enough for probably a series, if you know, if not at least a couple movies. Right. Um, so I, I do think this movie has some general pacing issues. 
Yeah, I I mean, there's a lot to like about it, and it's, it's I mean, I mean, it's yeah, beautiful. It's, a, it's, it's, it's painted, uh, you know, all of the that the watercolory Miyazaki look. You know, the creature designs and the atmosphere, and you know, the there are the World War II style uh, dogfights in the sky. All of that stuff is really, really cool. There are shots from this, particularly at the ending. There's a very specific shot. Oh, the Matrix completely just it has to be referencing this. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Because it's it's so like exactly the the look of, of certain parts of the Matrix, which I was I thought was very interesting. You know, and the Wachowskis uh, also highly influenced by anime. Yes, certainly so. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can see why it has the reputation it does, but I don't think they had perfected the Ghibli formula yet. Uh, it's similar to kind of, I think Disney movies from, you know, earlier in the Disney animation studios canon, mm -hmm. uh, have very similar issues and they hadn't quite figured out their, their formula yet, you know? Yeah, this one was made in the early 80s, I want to say. Um, 84, yeah. Yeah, there were – and then quickly there were, you know, big titles that came out almost right after. So, you know, it wasn't long after this that so we get My Neighbor Totoro or we get uh, Grave of the Fireflies, which is, you know, like literally a World War II apocalypse movie. Um, oh, it is – it is still. I've only seen it the one time, and it is still the one of the most devastating movies I've ever seen. Right, and you know they have hit after hit after hit. But yeah, I th I think mostly my issue with this movie has to do with storytelling, and some of the characters are just not very well drawn out. Like I don't I don't really get a feel for them outside of their role in the plot. Um, mm -hmm. I guess. You could say with with the lead, the princess, she she has this like you know friend to animals, friend to nature, like that's her thing. Um, and there's like yeah, a, I, I feel like Nausicaa is is pretty well developed. I feel yeah. like her relationship with uh, the Lord, voiced by Patrick Stewart, I, I, I you know I feel sort of the central cast that we're introduced to early on mm -hmm. I feel you know they're they're archetypal but they're unique enough and their relationships seem defined enough that I'm I feel like I know sort of their deal it's it's around when they introduce uh Shia LaBeouf's character and how you know one minute he's like trying to gun them down and then he sort of sees the ghost of his sister yeah, that's when it starts to get kind of fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it take, I, I, I think it takes a little bit to get off the ground. I, mm. I get that there's a lot of world building that they have to establish, but uh, it was a little sluggish getting to the plot developments. But you know, yeah. overall, I'd say it's it's worth a watch, especially if you like anime and you like animation. If, if you like any of the things we've talked about as far as Japanese culture and its significance as a uh, either a parallel to uh, nuclear catastrophe or, or climate catastrophe or whatever, works on all of those levels. Um, it's more interesting thematically than I think it is narratively. 
but uh it's gorgeous and the and really cool character designs really cool creature designs and um I would say and really cool um like action sequences which is not something that you kind of think of as much for uh Miyazaki I I mean like you said yeah, there there are some sort of more um action driven movies later on like uh princess mononoke and stuff but there's yeah. some there's some cool set pieces in this and i think mononoke kind of does a lot of this better like i agree on yeah, a story level um it's just a little bit more interesting but there's things to like about nasca as well for sure yeah one is more sort of a fantasy bent and this is more of a sci-fi bent so i you know i think kind of depending on sort of what flavor you prefer you might prefer one over the other yeah if you just saw dune recently and you really dug that like for sure go look at this yeah which i'm sure this was influenced by the book but in turn helped influence the movie right and like you said several other movies yeah i mean i think there's even stuff in this that looks sort of similar to some of the stuff we see in Fifth Element. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, the first Star Wars was before this, but I can see I can see how Star Wars influenced this, and I can see how maybe this influenced some later Star Wars. You know, it, it, all this stuff kind of feeds into each other. Yeah, all that, like, pulp sci-fi genre stuff. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so this is streaming on HBO Max right now. Uh, the next episode we do, we are going to, for the streaming homework, talk about the 1963 thriller Shock Corridor. Uh, this is a Sam Fuller film. Um, he was known at the time as being kind of an eccentric. Um, and he's made a lot of like cult films and genre stuff from that time period. Uh, and I always meant to get to this one. So that is also on HBO Max. So we're going to be watching it there. And if anybody has anything to say about anything we've discussed on this podcast or previous, you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave a comment on Facebook and Instagram at mcguffinpod. That's where you would follow us. Uh, or on uh, Twitter, we are also there, uh, at MacGuffinPod. And, uh, you know, what is your ranking of the Predator franchise? You know, you if you want, you can leave that as a comment somewhere. Maybe we'll read it on an episode. Um, oh, 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 you were asking the audience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I misunderstood. The theoretical listener, if you want to uh, give us your ranking of the Predator films, we'll... Uh, uh, we'll discuss that. Um, you can read my reviews I do for the Idaho State Journal by looking up Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment. That'll take you to the section of the website that my reviews are published in. You can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at VC Cassidy. Uh, be sure to leave us a star rating and a one-sentence review at whatever your podcatcher you use to listen to us on, particularly iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcasts, um, but we're also on a lot of the other ones. And uh, be sure to read the other movie reviews and articles written by the MacGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. And that's also where the podcast archives are. 
can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. You can also follow me on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. It's sort of an art account I do. Uh, and if you're interested in seeing me perform, um, I do shows. At, I do improv comedy shows at Mockingbird Improv. Uh, I'm part of a show called Improv versus Stand Up. Um, and uh, yeah, it runs every Saturday night, and I usually perform two or three times a month. Okay, and that is the episode. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Bye.